you know, there's like a level of professionalism I have to maintain when I'm speaking to like various academics and people in the legal profession. Not to say this episode isn't any less serious. However, may I chat to me? Good, good friend. Wagga. <laughs> Let's have a chat, man. Wagga, what are you telling me? Nothing, man. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. I feel like it's a conversation that's been going around a lot, so it should be an interesting one. I'm excited. Yeah, man. I mean, as the title will say, we're talking about the politics of black hair. Before we get into it, yeah, let's talk about, let's make it very personal. I know you've told me in our conversation that we've spoken about, you've had a few experiences where people try to come and try you, as it were. <laughs> of course. Uh, haven't we all? Like, I'm sure any black woman listening to this has had experiences where they've been tried you know for instance if you know if you yeah. have your hair your hair out and someone will try to come and touch it that's always is that a of, real thing I mean obviously I do believe all of the people who say it but is that like it's still mind-blowing to me yeah it's absolutely real and especially in these workplaces that are predominantly white you do yeah. end up feeling like a bit of a circus freak in there because everyone's just a bit like, oh my God, your hair, let me, oh, is this is this all yours then? Is it, oh, and it's just it's so awkward, you know, being in that situation where you're like, yeah, this is my hair, thank you. And yeah, please don't touch, thank you so much. And some of them will even touch your hair without asking you. You'll know. Or you get the, the typical question of, so when your hair is in braids, so how do you wash it then? How do you wash it? I don't get how this is any of your business, Sally. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> so this is, I feel like this is the issue that like all black women in like the corporate space go through. And we were like, I was speaking to a few black women last night and they were, we it all seemed to be like a, you know, an echoing of the same experiences. You know, this lady was saying that um, a man asked her to take her wig off in the office. And I was like, ah, uh? yeah. He was just like, take it off. Come on, love, take it off. Let's have a look. Um, sorry, what? <laughs> I like, but uh, wait, wait. Sorry, let's pull back. Let's pull back. Let's pull back. Take it off for what? I have no idea. They just wanted to see what was under there. So she'd basically been working for them, working with them for a while, um, and then she changed her hairstyle. And they were like, "Wow, so what's what's under there, though? So is is it your hair under there? I'll take it off. Let's have a look." And you're like, you know, how how could you? I don't know how I would respond. It's ridiculous. I don't know how I would respond in these situations, but honestly. These are the well, everyday microaggressions. I mean, the thing is, it speaks very much to the, if we look at the historical legacy, particularly of the black woman's body, we see that it's, oh, you know, we, we had human zoos because of black women's shape. We had, you know, we have stories of black women being cut into pieces and put Perhaps. on display in museums. So it kind of speaks to that thing of like, there's like, like a weird fetishization, fascination with, with black bodies, particularly black women. I agree with you. Yeah, there is, there's always been a fetishization, even if you think about, you know, the, the, black woman who was taught was taken on tours around the world because of her bum and you know they would look at her naked in these zoos and all these black people that have been you know looked at in these zoos up until not so long ago these these zoos actually existed so it's one of these things it's a trickle down of racism and it's and it's also I feel like it's also the not having access so I feel like a lot of people that don't have access to black people in their everyday lives then take Mm. that opportunity for example if they're at work with you and you know it's their first time being so so close, even if it's, it seems insane. But so it's being able to have a conversation about hair with a black person. And the first thing you ask me is, well, how do I wash my hair? Or how is that? How did they do it? You know, how is that on your scalp? You know? how, where do we draw the line between, let's say, a microaggression and kind of genuine curiosity? I think where we draw the line, 
respect Mm -hmm. is in workspaces I think when you're in spaces that are supposed to be professional I always feel like you should keep it professional so of course we all have you know work friends and we have these conversations but when it comes to people's you know their hair their appearance I feel like those are always areas that that are sacred and you should just leave alone you know if someone looks a certain way to you or you know I, I, I think that for everybody regardless of race it's just a sacred thing you know if you if you was to see someone and think they're having it looks like they're having a bad hair day you just wouldn't go up to them and tell them that or whatever the case may be which it's been for many black women which has traumatized them you know they're going into these workplaces with their afros out and people are making comments like oh did you did you not have enough time to do your hair this morning wow you have to rush in you know comments like this that make that make them then feel like they cannot wear their their hair out you know, in the office again. And they, they make them feel like they have to wear these wigs and these weaves in order to to fit in and just to avoid avoid those unnecessary conversations that they may have. So I think it's it's a very gray area, but I also think that curiosity is something that if I'm curious about something, I Google something, you know? So if I have a question mm-hmm. about I don't know, whatever it, it might be, the, any topic, I would go onto Google and find information. That information is readily available. So I think it goes past yeah. curiosity. And I think it's it's them really trying to make you feel uncomfortable. And I think that that narrative of curiosity is what we've been given. It's like, oh, you know, they don't have that much contact with black people. So when they do have contact with you, they've got all these questions. But the truth be told is that, like, for example, if I wanted to find out something about the Hindi culture, I would Google it. I wouldn't yeah. go and find an Indian person and start asking them a bunch of questions about Hindis because it just doesn't make sense to do that. So I think it's that logic. And if we can take that logic into everything, then maybe that's where we can draw the line. You know, just don't ask those questions. Just Google it. Nah. If, you, if you're really that intrigued, just Google it. <laughs> nah, I fully hear that. I fully hear that. Have you had, had yeah. any like personal experiences yourself? I've oh I've definitely have loads I've had loads of personal experiences with black hair and I had one experience that I can think of recently is when I was in a workspace and I got braids done and you know one of my colleagues had already asked me sort of oh my god how do you wash it so when are you gonna wash it and I'd already been like okay whatever like we went through that in the morning and then in the evening another one of my colleagues then goes ahead and asks me you know, how do you wash your hair on top of, and and I just felt like it was just a bit too much. Everyone asking me how I wash my hair and I felt like it was no one's business. But of course, in a workspace, you don't feel comfortable with telling someone, you know, it's none of your business, mind your business. You're trying to be as polite as possible and be professional. So I then spoke to my manager about it and I I wasn't even like snitching or anything. I was just saying to her, we were speaking about like racisms and microaggressions. And I was like to her, you know, just going on to like a few days ago, some of like our colleagues asked me how I wash my hair and I'm not completely comfortable comfortable with that question because I would never ask anyone yeah. else that question I mean if you have that curiosity I'd imagine you just google it you wouldn't go up to yes. someone and ask them how they plan on washing their hair it just it just seems too personal and she yeah. just had no sort of understanding um, and she was I think she, she's Indian yeah so she's Indian so she completely had no understanding of like why I, I was upset about mm. it and like she just kind of sort of thought, oh, well, you know, I, d- I, d- I doubt they meant it like that. You know how it is. They don't really mean it like that. And and she tried You're to sort of convince me. understanding of any me. kind of historical context. Exactly. And she tried to sort of convince me. And then we went into this sort of conversation of how, you know, she believes black and Asian people are more racist than white people. And then I thought, well, this conversation has taken a, a no whole way. spin and a turn. Yeah. So we went from speaking about black hair to speaking about racism and you know, and, and I feel like it's such a delicate topic, even if you want to bring it up as like a light topic to say, like, this is not fair. It will always end up turning into a deep or upsetting topic because it's a triggering, it's a triggering topic for a lot of people. Yeah. So then talk so, about your own kind of personal, your, your own personal experience with hair, like, because I know now you kind of embrace natural hair more so, isn't it? 
Yeah, so I'm what you'd call a naturalista, quote unquote, right now. Is that is that a term? It's a term, honey. We, you know, us natural gals. Okay. <laughs> naturalista, yeah. Yeah. You love we, a Easter. You love a fashionista. We love it. And then... <laughs> we love it. <laughs> naturalista, honey, we rock it. That's the point. But yeah, like I think I've only been natural for about, I want to say five or six years. And okay. even so, becoming natural, like I didn't know my natural hair texture till I did decide to become natural because I'd never let it grow out to a point, you know, so I've had my hair permed since I was about seven, I think. And it all stemmed from when I was younger. What's the, what's yeah. the purpose of perming? Because you know what it is, I wanna, it's going to be opened up to so many people. I want to make this episode an opportunity for answer all the questions. So when people say in the future, oh, what about, how do you wash your hair? No, listen, go to the Malcolm <laughs> Effect, go to this episode and you can find out like all about black hair. So I want to talk about all things black hair. What's the purpose of perming your hair? So naturally, black hair has curly or coily texture. So most black yep. people will have four hair, so either 4A to C hair. I've got 4C hair, which is a lot more What's that? Coily. I hear it all the time. I hear 4A, 4B, type C. I mean, I understand. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a bit complicated if you're, if you're not, you know, I mean, if you don't have the hair, you wouldn't understand. So basically, okay. 1A hair would be basically straight hair. So that okay. is the contrast. So 1A is straight hair and then... So who would have one A? Is this all to do with black hair, by the way? Or it's it not all to do all with black general? hair. It's all hair in general. So it's it's almost like you'd want to say the science behind it. So the one A okay. hair would be white people or maybe some mixed people or even Asian people who just have naturally straight hair. And then as okay. you go on from one to two, it gets curlier. So it's more like wavy, a curly texture. And then you go to three, which then becomes more defined curls. So three A is curly, but not as defined. Then three C is defined curls. And when we talk about curls, we're talking about individual strands of hair. So if you were to look at okay. one strand of hair, what would it look like? Would it be straight or would it be curly? Uh, or would it be absolutely coily? So there's the difference between three so A and- would be curly, you said, yeah? Yeah, so 3A would be a straight strand of hair that curls, that curls within it. So it's just a cur- that's got curls in it. It's a straight, straight strand okay. of hair that's got curls in it. 3C. And 3C would a- be, yeah. 3C is a very curly strand of hair. So it's not straight now. It's, oh, it's almost so it's more texture. curly. Yeah, it's a lot more curly. So By curly, are we talking about like in, in coils, like my hair? No. That, so 3C would be a curl. So if you would imagine a mixed person's hair, you know, how their hair is... Like a mixed race, um, black and white. Yes, exactly. Mixed race person's hair where their hair is Afro texture, but it's curlier rather than less kinky, more curly. So when we talk about kinky and coily, we're then going on to four hair. So 4A to C is Afro texture hair and the coils now. So the hair coils, rather than curling, it coils. And these coils can be hard to see. You'd have to stretch the hair in order to see... So what would my hair be? So your hair would probably be 4C hair. And so if you were to grow your hair out and have a strand, for example, if a strand was to fall out, you'd be able to stretch it and see how the hair is almost like elastic. So it coils and it shrinks within itself. And that is the reason why black people don't have to wash their hair as often or people with 4C hair would not have to wash their hair as often as people with 3A hair, for example. Because our hair is a lot more coily, it takes a longer time for the oil to travel from the root to the the ends of the hair. And so hence why our hair is is quite delicate and has to be, you know, we have to sleep with bonnets on and This is a whole science lesson, you know. This is a whole science lesson. I'm fascinated. Honestly, (laughs) I'm sincerely fascinated. Okay, cool. So what's the science of the bonnet? 
So with regards to the bonnet, it's either silk or satin. And the, and and the durag for guys as well. Yeah, the durag for men. So these are normally silk or satin materials which are supposed to retain the moisture within your hair. So like I said earlier, mm -hmm. because it takes longer from the oils that we naturally produce in our hair are what moisturize our hair. So with yeah. people that have straight hair, that the oil travels quite fast down to the to the end and hence why they end up having greasy hair for example and don't ever have to add oil to their air, hair whereas oh. because exactly because our oil takes longer to travel through the coils imagine it's got you know hundreds of coils to travel through before it gets to the end of your hair it's okay. it's taking it longer to get down there so hence why we have to add more oils into our hair because we have to substitute mm -hmm. for the amount of time it's taking to travel um, as well as retaining that moisture within our hair because it's quite easy to lose that oil within those coils if you you know if you just imagine if you just imagine something traveling straight down and something traveling in a in a rotation sort of motion yeah. it would be much easier yeah. for you to lose something on the edge of that rather than if you were going straight down so we we are more likely to lose the moisture and it's harder for our oil to travel through our hair so hence why we have to That's moisturize apply the oil and you apply the oils um, sleep with a bonnet to, to keep the moisture in so your hair doesn't essentially what you're saying so your hair doesn't dry out exactly and um the so we use different methods so there's the lock method or the LO or the LCO method, which is basically liquid cream oil. So it would be applying a spritz of sort of water or some sort of water yeah. and oil mix that you have, and then applying cream of some sort. So it could be like a cream of nature. I personally use cream of nature, or you can use natural hair brands. I've got one called Afro Hair Candy that I use as well, which is absolutely amazing. And so you cream it yeah. and then you add a sort of oil at the end, for example, shea butter or depending on the porosity of your hair as well. You add that in order Porosity? for the air up. Let's get into that in a minute. So you <laughs> in the moisture. So then when we're moving on to porosity, now that yeah. is is a completely different ball game, and a lot of people are okay. Before you get into that, let's talk about what do we mean yeah. by protective hairstyles and what we're we protecting it from or for. Exactly. So we're, we're talking about exactly what we were talking about with regards to our oils. Oils are the most important yeah. part because that's what keeps your hair from being brittle. So we're protecting our hair from drying out once again. And what the reason why we do this is because because of the coils in our hair, once again, our hair is Afro. And in order yeah. to protect your hair, you almost have to. So when we do these braids and these plaits, we're almost sealing in that moisture. So we've oiled that hair and we're, we're putting that hair within itself. We're protecting our ends because, you know, the ends of your hair are the oldest parts of your hair. So they're the most brittle parts. Mm, so we're, yes. our, we're sealing our ends and making sure that they don't lose any moisture along the way. We're also allowing for new regrowth. So we're allowing for our hair to grow within those protective styles without it being constantly manipulated by heat because having Afro hair texture, you know, for example, especially living in the Western, in a Western society, a lot of women, they have to blow dry their hair in order to keep, retain the length of their hair because, you know, they feel yeah. like... Even, even when I'm getting my hair done, for example, when I get braids, I've got to like blow dry it out. Exactly. Because of the shrinkage shrinkage which is another yeah, yeah. topic there you know the shrinkage is basically the same thing to do with the coiling of our hair when our hair is stretched out or straightened it's only temporarily it's only done temporarily so when when it comes into contact with moisture it, it shrinks again to its coily state yes. to its natural state and that's why we have to constantly blow dry our hair and these are all you know heat manipulation which causes damage what, of course what, as we all know what's an example of like a protective hairstyle so an example of a protective hairstyle would be cornrows, cameras, Bantu, so like, like our friend Adele. Bantu knots. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if it was a good choice for her because I'm not sure how she took them out. 
but but definitely <laughs> for the 40 yeah, texture bantu knots are a great protective style and the best thing to do as well is to keep protective styles in for a long period of time so when you do t- twist out it's always great to keep the twist out in for a few days so when you twist our hair we're talking two strand twists here you twist your hair down before you untwist that hair keep it in for a couple of days because that's going to lock in the moisture it's going to define the curls so that when you when you finally take it out that twist out is popping but oh. there's also styles like braids you know box braids are very good protective styles because you just you lock your hair away from the winter you just box braid it up and then you take it out and you can you know do whatever with it and it allows for so your hair to grow so, so it kind of so okay so for regrowth and keep the moisture in basically that's what you mean by protective yeah. hairstyle exactly so yeah you've got things like crochet which is camering your hair and basically weaving the extensions in and knotting them onto your camered hair. So there's a lot okay. of protective styles out there, as, as well as wigs. I don't want to discredit wigs. Wigs are protective. No, we are going to go well. into wigs, by the way. We're going we're gonna to go into wigs further as well. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But back onto porosity. What does that mean? Right. So porosity is basically your hair's ability to soak up water. So if okay. you've got, well, I might be, correct me if I'm wrong on this, might have to look at, look at this. But if you've got a high porosity hair, that means that your hair does not soak up water as much as low porosity hair, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Okay. So basically in, the way to, to check it is to put, you get a strand of your hair and you basically mm-hmm. put it in a glass or a jug of water and you let it sit there. And if it sits on top, then it's high porosity hair. But if it drowns within the water, then it's low porosity hair. Okay, wow. Right. So high porosity hair is, okay, so high porosity hair is hair that actually is frizzy. So it it doesn't take in moisture that well. And low porosity hair, so I've got it. Low porosity hair is the hair that, the other way around, yeah. So the the low porosity hair is the hair that takes, it takes in moisture well. So if your hair sits on top, it's high porosity. If it if it drowns in the water, then it's low porosity, and that means you probably your hair probably takes to moisture well. So you could spray it with water and put some cream okay. and, and oil in there, and you'd probably be all right. Whereas people with high porosity hair would probably have to use more butters and maybe thicker oils in order for it. So to, the black to people really normally have high, more high porosity, or it's not it's not to do with t- hair types. It's not to do with hair types. It's just to do with it. Could just it could be to anything. So it can be. So we have a lot of hard water in the UK, and that yes. can cause high porosity hair. It, it causes your hair to frizz. Okay. Our hard water because it's got so many metals and chemicals, whatever it may be. It's just hard water. Yeah. I don't know what the science is behind that, but high hard water <laughs> does cause high porosity hair, and so does uh, chemical treating. So like. For example, some people used to get the keratin blowout, which uh, I remember when it was first marketed, it was marketed as a natural thing. You could naturally straighten your hair. But a lot of people came to realize that once you sort of straightened your hair in that way, it changed your curl pattern. And hence that will change the porosity of your hair. Yeah, because it will change. It changes the way your hair takes in moisture, basically. So it, it can be due to a whole bunch of different things. And porosity of your hair can also change over time, as you see. So, for example, someone that may have had their hair chemically straightened, porosity of their hair is due to change so it can even change over time due to what you do to your hair oh, as well okay okay got you got you got you so this sounds hella hella complicated yeah so how important like what do you think of then about like let's say white people adopting black girls black kids like and their hair it's difficult isn't it, it must yeah. be, surely this must be a difficult thing to learn no it is a difficult thing to learn. And I think I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say they don't know what they're doing. Like, I think it's absolutely every, we've all had to learn it, you know. And I okay, believe okay. If, if you are going to adopt a black child, I would just say that the person take these, there, there are a lot of classes out here that basically, okay. 
give you information on how to do black hair and how to treat it. There are a lot of books that give you information on black hair as well for kids. There are loads of books and teaching black kids to love their hair. There's so many books like that. So I think it's just doing the research behind it, knowing, you know, trying to find out, you know, what the what the hair type is, what the porosity is, and how do I go forward? How am I going to make sure that their hair is moisturized? How am I going to detangle their hair? Because that's a huge part of black hair, detangling can uh, if done wrong can can ruin your hair it can break your hair completely so you know yeah knowing that you have to add moisture in order to detangle black hair natural 4c hair you know is something that uh, this parents have to know so yeah it's a thing that I would say it's going to be complicated but if the person is dedicated to the child they could there's tools out there to help them navigate their way around it talking about your personal experience again so you said you've been naturalista in six for, for about six years, yeah. So mm-hmm. let's talk about your journey to you getting naturally. So you said you started perming your hair at the age of six or seven. Why? Who was perming your hair and why? <laughs> wow. So this is a long story, and I feel like this is the story that everyone always hears. I've seen all those memes that are like, "We don't want to hear about why your hair's not long because your mum permed it when you were twelve. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we've all got that story, haven't we? We've all got that story about how we've we've been horrified by perming. So when I was younger, I think. My mum also didn't really know how to treat natural hair. She'd also had her hair permed from a young age. And in in Africa, I'm from African descent. In Africa, a lot of women cut their hair short because ain't nobody got Mm -hmm. time for that. And it is hot. So a lot of women just cut their hair short. So my mum's always really had her hair short most of her life. And so when it came to me, obviously my 4C hair, she wasn't sure how to treat it. So in the mornings, from I can remember probably from the age of three when I started, I don't know, nursery or whatever. It used yeah. to be such a struggle combing my hair, trying to get it up into those little pigtails. I would cry yes. every morning. And, you know, I remember being age five and my mum, one morning I was crying so much. My mum was like, do you want to get a haircut? You know, because I was like, I hate this. She was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> that day after school, I went and got my haircut. And when I tell you the kids were horrible, the kids... Oh my god, is she a boy or a girl? Oh my god, who are you? I'm like, it's me, it's me, Marie Claire. It's me, oh my it's god, me. I, I know it was it was slightly traumatizing. Not gonna lie, but it's you know built character. But like, thank <laughs> <laughs> god, you know. But then after the fact, you know, after so when I was old enough to get a perm, you know, at the age of seven, after my hair had grown out, and obviously we're still going through these things because my mum is not still not educated on you know how to apply the lock methods, like applying a moisture lotion, uh, liquid to my hair before detangling it you know so she got my aunt to perm my hair and that was fine I remember being I remember feeling like it was so cool you know had this little bob and my hair was swinging you know straight hair (laughs) it was it was crazy but I thought it was norm you know everyone around me had always had permed hair or short hair so I just assumed that's norm so fast forward to the age of 16 now I'm becoming a little bit more experimental I go and bleach yeah. my hair me and my friends have just we've put together and we bought a little bottle of bleach and we bleached our hair we, I bleached my fringe section you know I wanted a little red red fringe because I thought I was a yardie <laughs> or whatever I was living yeah. my life <laughs> yes uh, tell them tell them but obviously I didn't think about the fact that there was going to be regrowth and obviously yeah. this hair is now has now been chemically treated again on top of the perm. So obviously I'm 16. I don't have money to go to the hairdressers and get them to do the touch up, you know, in the professional manner. So I, I shout my mum and I'm like, mummy, the regrowth's in, let's go. And when I tell you she was she was combing out, she was, yeah, she was basically combing out the perm and the whole front of my hair yeah. fell out. 
I tell you, that whole Chai. bit, just nothing. Chai just yay. Bam. I had to rock the bayang for about a good year <laughs> until that shit grew in properly, I promise you, because I was uh... so like, I was traumatized. I think that's where the trauma started. And that's where I really realized that this this ain't right. This can't be it. This can't be because first of all, it smell it smells horrible, the perm stuff. Yeah. It smells horrible. It burns your head. It burns your scalp and sometimes it leaves you really itchy. And I was just like, now yeah. I'm getting older and I'm starting to think about these things. And I'm like, now I've gone bold in the front for a minute. Like, what am I supposed to do about this? My mom's telling me, yeah, you see what you did? You shouldn't have colored it. And now as I've like now I've turned I've, I've become an adult now I've become, I've become more in control of my hair. Yeah. You know, I mean I'm I'm fast forward I'm 18, I'm 19 and I'm starting this perm stuff it's just really starting to damage my hair like my hair's got length but it still hasn't got the volume that I you know that I require volume, yeah. and I've still got to put you know clip-ins in and just give it the volume. So then I realized I was like my my thick hair my hair under this is actually thick. Let me let it grow out for a little while and it grew out a little bit and I can see that yeah. it's a bit of and then I slowly just and for a minute I went I just had braids in I was just letting it grow 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 because I was way too scared to do the big chop so once it grew to a certain point I just chopped it and and that was it and I think it was it was deciding it was going through those phases and seeing how much the perm was damaging my hair and and how I'd gotten to the final stage where my hair was down to you know my chest area but it was Mm -hmm. so thin that I didn't even feel satisfied with this length that I'd been seeking for so long so it was Mm -hmm. just like I think it was reaching the point of like that I'd always wanted to you know you always want this long flowy hair and then I got there and it was long but it was kind of thin and I was just like this isn't it child this ain't it this is not where it's not my portion so I decided to grow it out. And ever since I had a, such a journey, lo- learning to love my short hair in its Afro form, you know, that was, mm-hmm. I didn't see my hair for, for a long time when I was natural because I just kept it in protective styles. I was in braids. I think people don't, um, people don't realize how political and how important black hair is, especially in a, in the age that we exist in, a, a, sorry, a time in which we exist that the standard is the European standards of beauty, the long flowing hair. And, you know, it doesn't just, extend to hair but hair is a big part of it we find yeah people, no i agree women, women try to live up to that standard so talk, okay so carry on sorry so you okay so you started embracing your hair is that was that also come at a time where you kind of go on a journey of like self-love as well yeah i mean i think it does come from a journey of self because you have to really dig deep to embrace so your then, hair so especially in that then are you saying are you saying the women that don't embrace the natural hair don't love themselves I'm not saying that they don't love themselves. I don't doubt that they do love what they're doing with their hair. However, mm-hmm. I feel like the the chemical, like it's not a pleasant experience. Like I personally okay. have been through that experience and it's not a pleasant experience. Like I could, I could understand it if it was, you know, a lovely little experience that you'd go like, like a spa day or like getting your nails done. Yeah. It, it would be nice and chilly, but it's really, it's a really traumatic experience. It involves feeling of burning and these horrible smells and sensations that I can't imagine anyone really enjoys. So I don't think that they don't love themselves, but I do believe that it's the socialization. So it might be, you know, have growing up where the, all of the women in your family's hair's perm and, you know, okay. you don't see natural styles around you. So you don't really know much about natural hair and you're having to, to fend for yourself. And sometimes that big leap from, you know, having this easily maintainable hair to now having to buy all these natural products and learn how to do twist outs and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are not ready to take that leap. So I, I wouldn't say that they don't love themselves, they're, but they might be just in a different part of their, a different place in their journey where they're just not ready to take on that responsibility because natural hair is a huge responsibility, you know, N- not having it fall out, you know, you've got to really keep on top of it. And I think 
in order to be ready, you have to be ready to do that. And sometimes if you're not ready, regardless of how much you love yourself, you know, the person might be a mother with kids and they just don't have the time for it. You know, they might be taking on a really tough degree, like a medicine degree, and they just, they wouldn't yeah. have the time, you know, to maintain the, the natural styles and things like that. So each to their own. I don't think it, it's all tied into self-love. I think a lot of it has to do with lifestyle as well. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I mean, I heard that. I heard that. I think that's a fair assessment. How about, okay, wigs. What's your opinion on wigs? Now, I think wigs. I and before you, too, remember, I know you're in real life, you know, you can't come on this podcast and start capping. You can't come on. I've, I've, seen you and I've seen you in your bonnet. I've seen you in your wig. I've seen you when the wig comes off next day. <laughs> For real. You've seen it all. I can't even come in and start capping. I've got to keep it all the way above. So basically, when it it comes to wigs, I've had my own journey with wigs. Let me not even sit here and lie. I've had my own journey with wigs. So I remember when I first became natural, after extensions, because braids get expensive, you know, once you start paying £100, £80 to do your hair every six weeks or whatever, it gets a bit expensive over the year. So you decide, I'm going to need something that I can throw on for a three-month period and maybe get my hair rebraided every so often, which is cheap. It's all to do with finances. So, for example, I now decided to start wearing wigs. And, you know, everyone wants to have the melty lace front. You know, the, the women that know, know, you know, what lace and all that good stuff that we see okay. online you know, when the girls have just got... It's not It's not Remy. Isn't it? It's not Remy, honey. This is all virgin hair. Me, I know, me, I know, I know Remy. I know Peruvian. I'm dead. We've moved on from that, honey. We are. Oh, is it? No way. What's a, what's a bundle now? Well, honestly, it's all virgin hair, so it's all supposed to be unprocessed. Okay. Hair that is from a woman of South American heritage, normally, or sometimes Asian heritage. So, so you're just doing someone else's hair like like that. Listen, it's the Come blame the game. Come I'm just the player, not the game. <laughs> okay. That's the game. I'm just a player. So basically, um, when it comes to wigs, everyone's always, you know, wanted to get, you know, those beautiful wigs that we all see those influencers with, where they've been gelled down with got to be gel. And the first few times I got my my wigs glued down, like I found that my edges were really suffering through this got to be gel. And I've seen and I've heard a lot of women talk about how these wigs are really affecting their edges and like not even just the gluing down, but just the wig sitting on your hair for a long period of time, I find on your hairline can sometimes even mess with your edges as well. So I think protective styles are great and wigs are great, but sometimes they can, you know, have that effect. So I always say to the women, look after your edges if you're going to wear wigs because they, they do take a toll. Is there something to be said about, I mean, we discussed this before. We're talking about wigs and the same people who wear wigs, we don't have a problem with, I don't, I don't have, have a say on how women dress and how they choose to dress it's up to them right but isn't there something to to be said where women who claim that they're you know natural hair lifestyle but they have wig styles that are not do you know what i mean that are, that are not yeah. what you'll find typical black women hairstyles yeah and i think I, I i think i discussed this as well and i was talking about how it's difficult to find these natural hair wigs and so I've personally you have to go to specific companies that actually put stock these wigs so I've now like I had that same sort of realization within myself so because me and my cousin Mm -hmm. were having some sort we were just having a little chit chat and she was like to me but you know you wear wigs for example but she's like but why is it that all the wigs you have or all straight hair or curly hair, but none of the wigs that you have look like the hair that you have underneath or the hair that 
other black women have and I and I had to think to myself why is that and the, the, mm-hmm. the first thing I thought about is that that those that type of stuff had not even really been marketed to me so I had not even yeah. seen it available I had to go out and search for it so I did think do they have them so when she posed that question I then went on to think are these wigs available and I found that there yeah. are very few companies that do supply these type of wigs and they are very expensive as well because it's something that doesn't have a high demand so it's not being produced as as often as for example straight and curly wigs are being yeah. produced so these wigs are expensive and I but find demand, though, also it's about demand, yeah it's, there's no demand exactly and and a lot of women if you're in a stage of coming into your natural, and I don't want to speak for all women, but if you're in a stage where you're coming into your natural hair and you're learning to love your Afro, Mm -hmm. I think these wigs are a sort of a a safe space and a comfort that you can, you know, that almost take you back to your perm days or whatever it may be, where you, you know, the hair, you can pop on the wig, you know, straighten it or comb it through and you're ready to go. And I think it's that it's the even when you have the natural hairstyles the wigs for example you still do need to give them that care because it is still black hair you know so you do still need Mm. to care for it in order for it not to frizz up on you for example if it's raining or if you want to maintain exactly or for it to become worn out exactly so these are things that, that I think are also affecting the demand for this and a lot of people have said like I was in the, this discussion group with some black women and they, they were saying that until the consensus changes so the way in which we I was just gonna over- get off to that yeah yeah until the way in which the public see black hair changes then we are not then black women are not going to be inclined to to wear their natural hairstyles because they're trying to avoid these awkward encounters that they have when they've got their natural hairstyles in and natural wigs in so for example if I was to wear I've got this lovely you know Tina Turner-esque wig you know Shaka Khan it's a big it's a big wig it's an afro wig but it's afro blowout hair so it's it's really long and it's straight but it's still afro hair and I can imagine if I was to walk into a predominantly white office with that hair in I would you know you'd get it all wouldn't you it would be like oh my god is this all your hair and and you know you have instances where strangers will come up to you and ask you is this your hair and yeah, I find that so hella weird. But in talking about, like, you mentioned a professional setting. Let's talk about, for example, when we speak about what is deemed professional and unprofessional hair. I find it, I can't lie, I find it ridiculous. When you, first of all, you Google, which I did yesterday, professional hair, unprofessional hair, you'll find that professional hair is like literally a comb over or people who are white. And unprofessional hair, which is people who are, have the natural hair out, is black people. But I find it so hypocritical because I'm like, our own prime minister, so you can't say he's not a professional, has some of the, done some of the worst haircuts I've seen ever. Exactly. His hair is something that I would not regard as professional hair. I'm sorry. Like, that is, I don't know what that is. But you also have to think about who is setting these standards of what is professional and what is not professional. You know, most of the times these standards are being set by white people. So in their, like, yeah. in their views. And if you think about countries like South Africa, where they have had, racism for for a very long time and apartheid certain children in this day and age in speaking the last two or three years are not able to yeah. wear their afros into their schools in south africa can you imagine because can you their imagine? afro is is unprofessional and or is untidy or unkept and these are this is the sort of rhetoric and the type of racisms that have trickled down to these are everyday mm-hmm. racisms but they're also part of systematic racism because if you think about a child being denied their education because of the texture of their hair then it starts to become exactly. a systematic issue exactly. and i think it's we have to start setting our own standards and having our own 
if you think about the professional corporate world, a lot of women talk about being in the corporate world and not feeling comfortable with wearing their natural hair or their afro in the corporate world because of what what is seen as professional and unprofessional. And so I think that there's got to be a general shift and change. And we need to not Google unprofessional hairstyles and see dreads and and afros because I, I don't understand. Like I don't, you can't tell me a skin fade is unprofessional because skin fade looks like you look neat when you have a skin fade. Exactly. And it's a nice fresh haircut. And no one can tell me that an afro, like, think about it. I can't help the fact that I've got an afro. So if you're telling me that I cannot wake up in the morning and wear my hair as it naturally grows out of my head, then yeah. you're telling, then it's, you know, what I mean, it, that you're now telling me that I don't belong in this space or I have to change mm. myself in order to belong in this space or in order to come into this space and a lot of the time mm. this this is the issue that a lot of professional women will have you know when you're well, when we're asking these questions about you know why are they not wearing afro wigs or coily wigs, mm. or wigs? it's because they it's the same type of microaggressions that they're going to encounter in the workplace whether they wear their hair or these wigs it's it's going to be them asking people asking if it's, it's their hair people looking at them strange you know getting these and like these are if you think about it as a normal person this it sounds very like silly to say that but you think about yeah. it as a normal person having to go into work day in and day out and dealing with these small microaggressions it takes a it's toll tiring. Of course yeah it it's tiring it's tiring. absolutely tiring and a lot of black women are dealing with a lot of other other racisms within the workplace and they just would rather not deal with the hair thing too and i respect I them that. for that because not every I day is that. a battle and not, not, not every day is not there's a fight yeah. it can be but yeah. it shouldn't be it shouldn't have to be exactly and fine- it have to be. exactly and then finally let's talk about this now. as a man yeah when I see a girl with a certain type of hair, can I ask, is that your natural, is that your real hair? If, I'm, if we're getting together, if I'm interested in her? I just think it's none of your business. I think it will come up. Like, if you think about it, if you're, if you're seeing Actually, someone... I, I get a surprise next day. Is that not... Yeah. <laughs> you, go, you go to sleep with who? With who? Who's, with Mariah Carey. You wake up with, with, with Lauren Hill. They're both beautiful yeah. women. But yeah, that's very <laughs> They're both true. beautiful women. But, but at the same time, it's like, oh, okay. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, but I think the way in which you can bring it up, it's the way in which you ask the question. So a lot of the time, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And um, Mm -hmm. if you're asking, if you're you're wanting to bring out hair and and stuff like this with a a woman that you really like, then I think you you would have to discuss it in a non-triggering way. So not being like, is that your real hair? Because automatically you're putting her on defense mode. Like, what do you mean Mm -hmm. is that my real hair? So you would have to ask it in a better way. So you need to, you know, be like, oh, like, I love your hair, this is all natural. You know, you give them... I feel like there's always a way to to compliment a woman and really get it out of her. And if you feel like you're saying to her, like, wow, this is all natural, it's all yours, that's so amazing. And if she says, yeah, then you're going to take it that way. If she says, you know, okay. if you go, wow, your hair is so beautiful and it's all yours and, and it's so long and beautiful, how'd you get it like this? You know, if you were to say something like that to a woman, then she would either do one of two things. She's either going to be like, oh, love, I wish it was my hair, but it's not, it's a wig. Or she's going to yeah. go with it and say, yes, honey, this is my real hair, because that's how she feels like she wants to go through this conversation. If she's not ready to have this conversation, <laughs> then that's how she's going to go about it. We can't possibly be promoting lying. Listen, I can't be promoting <laughs> lying about hair, but I understand if someone does not, if someone, you know, if I'm seeing someone and I'm not ready to have that conversation, 
about hair yet because I have some, say, trauma or triggers around mm, speaking about my hair. Fair enough. Which some people do. You know, some people have hair conditions like alopecia and things like mm. that where it's, it's beyond mm. their control. And, like, in order to speak to you about their hair, they have to trust you and, and really open up to you about, you know, something that, that, that might be happening with their hair. So if I'm one of these people and you're now asking me about my hair, yeah. I'm probably going to lie in the first instance. And maybe when I get to know you a bit better and feel like I can trust you, I'll then let you know, like, you know what? this isn't my hair <laughs> you know maybe one day you see what my hair look like, looks like but, you but know. I, I'm, I'm thinking of that meme the time where it's like I can't wait to rub my fingers through my base hair and the woman's just there staring in a bonnet <laughs> yeah because it's like you can rub your fingers your fingers through my wig and, and, and contrary to popular belief you can rub your fingers through afro hair like just be ready to have some yeah. you know some grease on your fingers there might be some lovely coconut oil <laughs> Your hair might oh, come okay. out smelling like we, coconut. We, we, we like and... co- yeah, that's okay. We love coconut. Do you know what I mean? Like, be ready. You can rub your hair through. You just got to ask for permission. And, you know, if she's yeah. telling you, she'll let you touch her hair. It's fine. But, you know, in an intimate setting, like, I feel like, you know, we've just, you just got to reimagine the way you're, rub, you're running your hair, your hands through her hair. Reimagine. Oh, you know? I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So don't imagine running it all the way through. Imagine giving her a scalp massage or something, you know, with some hot oil. Let's reimagine, you know, this hair Guana. Okay. Yeah, okay. Let's reimagine this thing. Men that are into <laughs> ethnic women to reimagine the way they're rubbing their hair. You know, if she's got her, her cane rose in, you put that hot oil in her hair and you rub your, you know, you give her the, the head massage and, you know, change the game. We, we, we need to. We need to. We need to reimagine these. It starts the only way. And absolutely, it starts with all of us, man. It starts with all of us playing our part, man. This has been. I really enjoyed this conversation, man. It's actually really, edu- really educational, much more than I thought. Yeah. And I hope our listeners find it as interesting as I have. Guys, you are listening to the Malcolm Effect with Mamadou. I will post Mary Claire's socials in the comments. Please like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening on. We'll be there on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Until next time, take care, guys. Thanks for having me.